Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul Tom Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Conrad Fernandez. He's the Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Teledyne LaCroix, and uh, we brought him here onto the show today to talk about uh, where Power Test is going, especially with all of these challenges that are presented by Smart Grid and Internet of Things, and especially where they overlap. So hi, Conrad. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, I'm really glad to have you on because I love bringing people on from all of the different directions of the technology space because, as I like to tell my audience, um, the smart grid is really like the blind men and the elephant because it truly does depend upon your perspective as what it is. Yes. But the uh, overarching thing is, is that you've got to measure it, right? And without te- proper test, it's all just guesswork. Well, well, that's right, and, and the challenges are, are changing, and so what you need to measure is changing. Um, you know, the grid was originally designed to carry a lot of power, um, pretty much fanning out from very central locations, and now we're challenging it with uh, distributed generation to manage contributions coming from lots of different places that are generally not coordinated, and so not only does the uh, information technology have to coordinate everything, but then the hardware on the ground or, or up in the air on poles has to be able to deal with the, the demand and uh, manage the distribution. So we see some, some serious challenges in, in the test area setting up, and we think it's only going to get more interesting as distributed, uh, distributed generation uh, takes hold more and more broadly. Well, with you, com- with you completely, Conrad, you're absolutely correct. Um, when you, it's in one way, it's almost the um, digitization or webification, as you were, or data orientation now of power. Even everything is becoming uh, more decentralized and almost packet oriented. It's really turning uh, power from a group of technologies to almost the philosophy that you have to master in order to design properly. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely one of the dynamics going on from the technical point of view. And then, you know, from the consumption point of view, we're also turning power into a commodity that you expect to be able to buy and sell or, or perhaps trade. And therefore, to some degree, the user becomes the master of his or her own fate because they decide whether they want to contribute power to the grid. And if so, you know, what are the economics of that? And that market that we're creating needs a good pricing mechanism so people know Um, whether this is a good time to do their laundry, for example, or a good time to sell power back to the grid. So we see a lot of development going on there. Um, Again, in terms of the the IT that hooks it all together, but then in terms of the devices that will have to implement all of that. Exactly. And because now companies are literally touting uh, advantages of as low as a percent or half a percent of efficiency, does design, you really have to measure twice, cut once nowadays. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because some of our customers, particularly in the motor area, have been confronted with this for some time. You know that regulations for motor efficiency have been getting more and more stringent, and that's going to continue. And there are two ways you can comply with that. One is you can change the physical design of the motor. And I'd say motor, um, motor efficiencies and motor technologies have advanced a lot in the last few years. But the other is you can take your your basic um, AC induction motor and drive it through a a more efficient technology, a variable frequency drive, 
and just make the thing um, more efficient um, by, by designing some intelligent electronics into the system. So, and, and, you know, this matters because almost half the electric power that we generate goes into motors. So, you know, our customers are um, <clears throat> rising to this challenge, and we're looking at what kind of tools do they need in order to be able to extract that last half of a percent of, of efficiency. Half of a percent didn't used to be a big deal in test and measurement, but um, when you're talking about consuming half the world's power, half a percent of that is a very big deal. Exactly, exactly. And as I'm fond of uh, telling uh, my audience as well, is uh, it is possible to save the world from the comfort of your living room. Let's just design better products. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and thank heavens, we do have people that are doing that. It, it, that's true. That is, and Well, the key there is, right, you have to make sure that the lines on the ruler are very close together and accurate, right? Well, yeah, that's right. And so um, partly by design and partly by, our, by um, customer invitation, we've been increasing the resolution of, of our tools. So our most recent oscilloscopes have featured what we call high-definition technology. So we call them HDOs, high-definition oscilloscopes. And they have a 12-bit ADC surrounded by the right amplifiers and memories to really extract the precision from that. It's not enough just to have a good ADC. You need to have a whole system that's precise and accurate. But that's what we've done, and we've found a very big take-up for those products from people with exactly the kind of challenges that, uh, that you and I have been talking about here. Well, you know what, then, Conrad, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's your latest device in that family? Tell us a little bit more about what you've got there. Yeah, sure. The, the latest is we call the HDO 8000 series, because it has eight analog channels. Um, so this is a high-definition oscilloscope <clears throat> with 12 bits of resolution and eight analog input channels. Uh, high speed, it goes up to a gigahertz, which for the kind of applications we're talking about uh, is, uh, is high speed. Um, we also have models at 350 megahertz and 500 megahertz. So it's a family of products, but they all feature eight analog channels, 12 bits of high resolution, and they also have 16 digital inputs, so you can use them as a mixed signal oscilloscope. You know, that's important because the kind of designs we've been talking about are not just the power electronics, but there's also a microcontroller or a microprocessor in there controlling everything. And, and these days, with some pretty, um, some pretty good smarts, a lot of sensor inputs and, and a lot of uh, algorithms running in software, all of Right, and probably wireless, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And as we get to Internet of Things, I think more and more of it will be wireless. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think we see it heading in that direction. Exactly. Now, let's, let's talk about uh, nuts and bolts literally here. Uh, what kind of flexibility do, do you have for, say, working at a bench? What kind of probes? What kind of uh, tools can you use with it? Okay. So the, <clears throat> the nice thing about coming from an established family of products is you get to inherit all the benefits of, of the family. So the HDO series we launched uh, a little over a year ago, there are over 30 Teledyne LaCroix probes that are already compatible with this product. Um, and uh, we use what we call a ProBus interface, which not just connects the probe, but provides power to the probe where necessary and handles all the calibration of the probe. So if you connect a current probe, you get the readout in amps or milliamps, just as you would expect. So that's, that's all there. That's an innate capability of the instrument. We're also launching some new high-voltage uh, differential probes to complement this product. Uh, we call them the HVD, so high-voltage differential probes. Um, 
they um, are remarkable in the common mode rejection ratios that they can achieve at high frequencies and high voltages. So they'll, they'll go up to 2,000 volts peak to peak, and perhaps more importantly, they'll give a, a CMRR of 65 dBs at a megahertz. That sounds like a mouthful, but what it means is when you're looking at um, fairly small level sensor signals in the presence of a large voltage that may be fluctuating, you're going to get good resolution with 65 dBs of common mode rejection. You're going to see the signal that you're interested in rather than the big common mode signal that tends to swamp everything. Right. Well, and there you go, because resolution is key, not just resolution of the device, but what you can resolve when you're looking at it. Well, yeah, and then, you know, in practical applications, that becomes even more so, Alex. One of the things we know people will want to do with this is, um, let me give you an example. So we've got eight channels. We could easily be looking at a three-phase system where we're measuring three voltages and three currents simultaneously, and we'd still have two channels left over to look at some sensor or control signals. In that application, the first thing we see customers reach for is the analysis button because one of the things you'll want to do is multiply voltage by current to get an instantaneous power waveform. That, you know, that's mm -hmm. a really nice thing to be able to look at. The challenge there is you're quite often, when you're multiplying volts by current, because of the kind of waveforms these are, you'll quite often be multiplying quite a small number by another number that may be big or small. When the numbers get small and you only have, say, 8 bits resolution, you can come up with some pretty rough-looking waveforms. With 12 bits Ooh, yes. resolution, you're going to see a much better resulting power waveform that will be much more like what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Understood completely. That's a very good point to make, Conrad. Now, uh, what about some other functionalities uh, does it provide that uh, are worth commenting on for the audience? Well, one of the things we've noticed about these applications is uh, they tend to be the ap the application tends to be related to real life events. What do I mean by real life event? I mean, like for example, when you're testing a motor, you're going to power it on, you're going to apply a load to it, you're potentially even going to overload it, and then you're going to stop it. So there's a sequence that's occurring in real time, <clears throat> and that that time is is measured in seconds. How many seconds depends on the application and the motor. But if you want to digitize um, at you know, a high sampling rate so you get good acquisitions over a few seconds of, of uh, real life, then you're going to want a, a fairly long acquisition memory in order to be able to store all of that information. And we've put up to 250 megapoints per channel in this system. And that means I can digitize at really high speed for, say, for example, 25 seconds and watch that real-life event happening, capture absolutely everything, and then at my convenience go back and analyze what was going on during, during those 25 seconds. Well, that's very nice. And that's, again, that's what the engineers need today. You have, to, you have to capture it quickly. You have to capture it completely. And the more comprehensive, I mean, it's literally big data writ small in this case, you want to get as much information, but it has to be legible, it has to be concise, it has to be uh, highly accurate because, yeah, you're, it's in for all the marbles now. Everybody's literally fighting over, as you pointed out, half percent. That's exactly right. And you know, you know how it goes. If you knew in advance what was going to happen, <laughs> then you could set up some fancy trigger just to capture the event that, that you knew in advance was going to happen. You know, when we're in debug mode, we don't know in advance. We're debugging to find out what's going to happen. And that's what makes it really useful to acquire for 
the entire period of time with high resolution, both vertically and horizontally, so that after it happens, I can go back, zoom in, see what really happened, and then try to correlate that with what else is going on in my system, which is where having those 16 digital inputs is extremely useful because I can look at what was going on with the processor or uh, you know, a large number of sensors and, and you know, figure out what events are related to what because I've stored the whole acquisition. I can go back and look at it at leisure. Right. Now, what we normally like to do is, because I, I would love to continue talking to you about this, but uh, unfortunately, we, you know, we do have a show and we've got some time constraints. But what I like all of my uh, guests to do is I always give them the opportunity to have the last word. And uh, it could be one last point about the device, if you like, or something about uh, the company's strategic direction or some tips that you have for the audience. But whatever you'd like to say, uh, make sure your URL is there so they know what website to go to, and uh, the floor is yours. Very good. Um, so thanks again for that, Alex. I, I think the trend that we see that's really interesting is a lot of um, power electronics is now three-phase work with a lot of built-in intelligence, whether that's being used as motor drives, whether it's creating the solid-state inverters that will one day replace the transformers on the electricity poles, or whether it's in an electric vehicle where you've got a very high-voltage DC battery and a lot of devices consuming that DC power where a lot of it needs to be converted using some kind of inverter technology. In all of these cases, there are a lot of signals to look at. The thing that we've learned is the more resolution that you can apply, so the, the higher the digitizing resolution and the longer the memory, the more accurate measurements you can make. Um, we'd be very happy to um, discuss these trends further with your listeners, Alex. We're at www.teledynelacroix.com and these products will be on our website from uh, June 17th. Uh, okay. And, uh, well, Conrad, this should post sometime a little bit around or after that date, so um, with luck, they won't have to wait long after hearing this because uh, I know they're going to be interested. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Conrad, because uh, as I said earlier, you, you know, unless you know exactly what you're doing, you're just guessing. Alex, it's been a real pleasure. We support the show, and we'd love to come back again sometime soon. Excellent, excellent. So we'll bring you back for something uh, next time you have something uh, new to show us then. Looking forward to it, Alex. Great. So, again, Conrad, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. And I'd like to thank all of you out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul Tom Power. Have a great day. <laughs>